Welcome to the Healing Health Podcast. I'm Amber Petty. In this episode, I'll be talking to Professor Steve Allender from Deakin University's Institute for Health Transformation. We caught up to discuss his research for GLOBE, which is one of the largest research groups in Australia dedicated to obesity prevention. So join us now in the conversation. Stephen, lovely to meet you. Before we get into all of the wisdom that you have around obesity, I just want to find out what exactly your role entails within the Institute for Health Transformation at Deakin University. So I'm the Professor of Public Health, and I'm also the founding director of the Global Obesity Centre. And the Global Obesity Centre is a World Health Organisation collaborating centre for obesity prevention. And we've been working with the WHO since about 2003 in, in that guise. And so what does that mean? Like, which, which other countries and entities, like, are you dealing with and, like, what are we known for? Or you know, Yeah, like so that? lots of them. So, so the Global Obesity Centre has a lot of different areas of operation from policy through to the way food works through to food systems, um, health economics, and you will have talked to other people in other podcasts yeah, about that right, sort yes. of thing. The work I do in particular is is in uh, obesity prevention and helping groups of people find the best solutions. And we do that work along with a lot of the other globe work in lots of countries in Eastern Europe, in mm-hmm. Central Europe, in um, the UK, in the US. And we've got a long-standing set of relationships, particularly in the South Pacific and in New Zealand, working with communities in in those parts of the world as well. Is that just because they're close, or are they do they have have similar challenges as we do? A, a, a range of I lo- sorry, interrupt. I looked at the um, the list of, uh, you know, like the top, I don't know, I think it was like 50 or 100 or something um, obese nations, and it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. I think every few years there, there seems to be some sort of research that comes out that sort of points the finger pretty heavily at us, and I think, I don't know whether it's just me, but I always go, oh, surely America is much more obese than us. Like surely they have, you know, because we just, I think we're just ingrained to see them as the fast food Yeah, nation. I mean, the, the truth is the majority of the developed world and the developing world now too have been they, on a pretty sustained regular increase in the numbers of people who are overweight or obese in each population. Mm. So so the, the league ladder leader changes mm. um, every so often depending on how a study's done and when it's done. But... The developed countries are typically leading the charge, but the developing countries are catching up very quickly. And uh, when we think about obesity, it's actually a a marker for a lot of other conditions that are important, like what we eat and how we eat and how Mm. active we are and how well we sleep and how our social relationships are, and a marker for a whole range of other health risks and health outcomes. Um, So it's a very complex set of relationships Mm. that, that... most every country is dealing with around the world. Yeah, okay. So in terms of obese and who might be obese, how is that calculated? What What is, you know, who, yeah, I guess I know a bit about it, but what, what, how do you calculate that? Yeah, so the WHO um, use a definition of obesity that's around abnormal or excessive fat accumulation, which presents a risk to health. So people may have heard of a term called body mass index and and that's used to evaluate whether somebody's in a particular category of a healthy weight Mm -hmm. or of being overweight or of being obese are the typical categories you're likely to be in. Um, In some countries, underweight is also a problem. 
problem in terms of malnutrition as well. So you measure someone's height and weight and then you um, essentially adjust that for heights adjusted for weight and then you get an idea of someone's body mass index which then allows you to categorise them in a particular category. It's an easy calculation to do. It's easy to do online. And people sort of often ask the question, well, is there really a strong relationship between this thing called weight status and health? And it's pretty well established over the last 30 years or so that there are very strong relationships between your weight status at a particular point in time and your likely health outcomes over the future. So as body weight increases, Mm. as people move from a healthy weight to overweight, but particularly to obese and and, um, very obese, Mm. you start getting a much higher incidence of chronic disease, Mm. but also much higher mortality rates. So people are are likely to die younger than they would if they'd maintained a healthy weight. Yeah. So, okay. So what kind of, what what sort of obesity problem do we have in Australia? It's it's pretty significant. So uh, around two thirds of the adult population are overweight or obese. Um, and the challenge we face, we do a lot of work on prevention of obesity. Yeah. And, and so we really focus on the childhood years in particular mm-hmm. because what we've learned in the past is that once somebody becomes overweight or obese, it's very hard to reverse that. Mm. So people will, will have individuals in mind that they say they've lost weight or they've come to a healthy weight. But generally speaking, as a group of people move into an unhealthy weight category, mm. it's very hard to turn that around. And the studies we do around Australia but also around the world um, show that the rates of overweight and obesity in our kids over the last 35 years have gone up. So our kids now are less healthier than they were 30 years ago, particularly regarding their weight status. And what we see when we look at that is there's strong associations with weight status and obviously quality of the diet and how active a kid is, but also their sleep patterns and their social quality of life and their educational attainment. So it's challenging. We use obesity as a marker because it's really easy to measure um, Mm. and it has got strong associations with health outcomes, but it's actually a proxy for a whole bunch of other critical issues that affect our health and our well-being. Mm. Yeah, and I want to ask you about that. I was thinking about um, it last night and I was thinking, I wonder how many people in Australia that are considered obese don't know that they're obese. You know, it's not a nice word. Um, No, and it's one of our challenges that it's not a nice word. Correct. That's what I was sort of just, I guess, acknowledging that word and and the fact that for me, I know it's terrible, but for me, I remember seeing a documentary years ago with this poor man in America and he was what they call morbidly obese and um, I think he he ended up, you know, um, having to be sort of almost airlifted out of his house and it was it was it was really really horrific but that word obese to me I have I would I would imagine what I get in my mind is probably way 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 over the starting point of what obese is so it made me kind of think okay so how many people out there in Australia are obese and they don't know that they're obese and if I'm going to a doctor and I am considered obese is the doctor entitled to point that out to me or do they duck and weave around it? Like what's so, – if it's such a big issue and I'm presenting as someone that's clearly obese, what is that sort of – Good question. And, and we would use overweight and obese more often than just the term obese because yeah. as you move into the overweight category, it has health 
implications as well. Mm. Um, the example you gave of someone who is morbidly obese mm. is a less common situation, mm. but with two-thirds of the adult population overweight or obese, it's actually normal to be an unhealthy weight. Mm. So one of the big challenges that we face when we think about unhealthy weight, overweight and obesity is that we individualise it and mm. it's a human thing to do to say, oh, well, this particular person looks a bit overweight. Mm. Overweight and obesity is a normal reaction to an abnormal environment. And so when we look at the ways that these rates have increased over time, they haven't increased over time because individual decision-making has changed mm. radically. They've increased over time because the social conditions in which people are making decisions about activity and food are changing and right. to make it much harder for us to make healthy choices the easy choice. So what is your research showing you? Like what are the factors around that? That like. So we again, we do a lot of work, particularly in children, because of the prevention angle, yeah. but access to green space, the quality of green space, the role modelling of the community that those kids are in are all critical things. Mm. Access to healthy and affordable good food is a major issue. The perceptions of what healthy is changes all the time. One of the things that is emerging for us and particularly in the data that we've got representing children in Australia and in Victoria in particular is we're seeing really strong emerging trends of issues relating to increasing screen time. So kids who spend more time on screens are less active but are also subject to a whole bunch of marketing that they wouldn't have been mm. subject to mm. in the past. So one of the challenges we've got is that the drivers of something that seems simple as measuring someone's height and weight mm. are incredibly complex. Not only are they complex but they're different community by community and they're probably different individual by individual. So mm. we have a range of solutions. Our health economist, who I know you've talked to, have spent mm. a lot of time and energy understanding the bona fides or the, or the credentials of different approaches to obesity prevention. And when you do the numbers, it, there are several different uh, strategies that can prevent obesity at a, at a national level mm. um, and they're cost effective. And when we, particularly working in communities, we know that working with communities is feasible and acceptable to all sectors of the community, but also a very effective way of improving the health of kids by improving their diet and improving their physical activity levels. Mm. So how do you know, like in, in terms of communities, how do you identify which communities are, I guess, the most likely or, you know, have the biggest um, population of o obesity? Yeah, we don't – so those sort of data are collected. We don't yeah. typically work that way. Yeah. Um, so we typically would work with a group of communities who are interested in improving the, the health okay. of their kids. Yes. So a group of communities would come to us and say – we feel like our health of our kids could be better, what should we do? And mm -hmm. and the challenge that comes with that is our answer to that is, well, we have to work with you to build your capacity to get the best possible response for your kids mm -hmm. and that's different in your community compared to another community. Yeah. So part of what we do is get a, a sensible um, understanding of the current uh, weight status of the kids, whether what proportion are healthy or an unhealthy weight. But we also collect a whole range of information about their food behaviour, um, their sleep behaviour, their activity behaviour, and a whole bunch of information about how the community's functioning. Mm. And our next step then is to work with the community and say, you know, we would like to work with you to improve the health of your kids. If we were to do that, what does the problem look like from your point of view and not at an individual level but at a social level, at a community level? Mm. And if we, this is the evidence we've got about what we know works, 
what's possible in this community to improve the health of your kids. Mm. Um, and you mentioned before the word obese is, is a challenging mm. word and, and I, I agree with you. Um, we've got it in the name of our group for the health reasons I mentioned before, but we might work with a community that's interested in youth wellbeing or in mental health of youth or in social engagement or in social isolation. And when you do that work, all of those different health conditions are connected with each other. Mm. So when we think about the mental health and well-being of kids, you can't do that without thinking about their level of physical activity, mm. the quality of their diet or the quality of the relationships with other kids. Mm. So our overall mission is improving the health of populations, particularly kids, but especially building the capacity of communities to uh, create healthier environments mm. to live in. It's really hard, isn't it, because, I mean, it's sort of – brings to mind, um, you know, I, I do a bit of foster caring and, you know, I've seen examples of, you know, children arriving to me at, at a certain weight, you know, and obviously, as you've sort of said, there's lots of contributing factors, you know, I'm, you know, I, I know, well, there's a lot of neglect there. So they're not out, you know, they're probably sitting in their room, you know, they're not, there's that extra attention is not there. But also, I know that, that there's just, you know, the diet is really, really appalling. And I've seen, experienced where a child has stayed with me for a longer period of time and they've lost weight and the, that in it, energy and just, you know, f I guess they're the, the weight that they really should be. But then they, you know, once they're sort of, they go back into a situation with their parent again, if that parent is overweight, if that parent doesn't see any problems with, or if that parent is overwhelmed by enough things going on in, on in their life, it, it, it still doesn't seem like it's, it's, it's a factor that, and I find that really sort of painful to know, obviously all these things are so heavily weighted in sugar and exercise is important. And then just going, you know, they're going back into that it's a, it's a perfect example, actually, because that's an individual example. But the point is that the conditions are set against the healthy thing being the easy thing to do. Yeah. So when we work with a community and everybody's pushing really hard in the same direction to improve the health of their kids, mm. we get healthier kids. Yeah, we, we've yeah, proven yeah. that we can prevent obesity um, and reduce the prevalence of overweight and obesity but also improve kids' activity, sugar-sweetened beverages, the way they relate to each other, a whole bunch of positive mm. outcomes when the whole community is shifting the environment. In normal everyday life without that effort, there are so many other influences pushing in multiple other directions that make it so very, very hard yeah. for the healthy thing to be easy. And so one of the challenges that we're facing at Globe is partly how do we get the government level support to shift the environment as much as we can at that level, but at all levels of society, how do we get a shift that means the healthy thing is normal instead of what we have now, which is the unhealthy thing is normal. And mm. so your individual kid is lucky to have some support at, at, at points in time, mm. but a third of our children are, are already overweight and obese in primary school, mm. and that's... No parent wants their child to be unhealthy. That's you know, every, if you if you got every parent in a room and said who here would like their child to be healthy, mm. everybody puts their hand up. Of course, it's a natural response to an unnatural environment that we as a society are, are putting on weight to the point where it's at an mm. unhealthy level. Mm. But I think um, also what can tend to happen is that there can be sort of some defensiveness and sort of, of shame course. triggers by the the parents because. 
you know, obviously no one wants to be told that they're, you know, not doing the best by their, their child, even even a parent that might be distracted in, in, a, in a fairly toxic way. But um, I, I've seen ex- and experienced where, um, the, the you know, the parent, um, I guess, their triggers for their own weight and their own lifestyle is sort of, you know, that comes up first. Do you know what I mean? So- you, you're actually, you, you can't point something out on behalf of the child without, in some way, taking you know, taking on the on the parent for their own stuff, and and, and we don't individualise individual families mm. or individual mm. children. Um, our approach is to ask the community what is it we can do to make this mm. a healthier environment to live in. So when we're collecting information about the health status of the kids, we're collecting it to see whether or not the shifts that the community has made to improve the environment mm. are having positive effects on the behaviours of. of the kids, whether they're eating better, whether they're sleeping better, whether their physical activity is better. Um, and when we do that work, one of the starting points is to bring the community together and ask the question, well, if we've seen this pattern in kids over time, not your kids necessarily, mm-hmm. but, in, but in kids over time where their health is, is getting worse, mm-hmm. why is that happening? Mm-hmm. And it's the things we've talked about. It's social media, it's social support, it's the influence of junk food marketing. It's mm. you know, hundreds of different things. Our next question is, okay, well, what is it possible for us to change at this particular level? So we use a, a term called community-based intervention, which, yeah. which is a bit of a it, – it's, it's the wrong sort of term because when I say community, cabinet and parliament is a community of people who want mm. to make a positive change. Mm. Um, a, a group of doctors in a community is a community of people who want to make a change. Uh, key people in council are people who want to make a change. New parents want to ensure their kids are healthier. Mm. So really the mission for us is to put the right tools in the hands of the right people mm. mm-hmm. at the best possible time to get the best possible outcome for the health of the kids. Yeah. So um, in terms of those communities, um, do you um, have you got any examples of like a really, I guess, going into whatever community it is and having a really positive change, like them being very open, you giving them the tools and, and seeing some results over time? Yeah, so, so the approach we take is a capacity building and community empowering approach. So, so one of the other challenges for most people in academia is they want to be right. They want to be the hero on the white horse yeah. and, and to help a community find the best solution. That's not the right way or not the way we think is the best way to approach it. So our, uh, the, the, we is that have, because it becomes more about sort of telling them? Exactly. Yeah, and, and feeding the, them, here's my wonderful research, do this. Buy my solution, please. Yeah. And we've learned over 30 years that that's not the best way to prevent obesity within a particular community, overweight and obesity and, and poor health of kids. And, in fact, the critical things, the key factors, the dose, the magic, the thing on mm. the spoon is communities owning and leading a response that makes sense for their community. Yeah, that's right, their unique DNA to Exactly, the their unique, perfect way mm. of describing it. So our starting point is to help that community understand the unique DNA mm. of that community and how that's influencing kids' health for better or for worse. And yes. we, we use a piece of software we've invented which helps people in community work together to build a picture 
of how they all see the problem. Mm-hmm. We then ask what's already happening to improve the problem in that particular community that could be strengthened, mm-hmm. where they think more needs to be done and where they have control to make some change. Mm. So where we have communities and, and it works very well, we have really passionate leaders, really engaged leaders committed to giving their own time and bringing the broader community together. Yeah, they really have to champion it. That's right. If it's a, a nerd from outside in a suit and a pair of glasses, mm-hmm. i.e. me, I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't listen to me either. But but the the expertise we've developed and we bring we know a lot about obesity and the causes and we do a lot of research in that but the work we're doing that i think is the cutting edge stuff is how do you help communities work their way through finding the best solution Mm. to the problems they're facing at a particular time that's fit for purpose Mm. in that particular community so just because something worked in chicago doesn't mean it's going to work in sydney or melbourne or vancouver Um, so what we're trying to do is find the best way to take groups of people through a process to find the best solution at the right point in time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it surprises me that something you said before let me leads me to think that government are difficult to get on board to the level, I guess, that is needed in terms of identi- you know, uh, recognising that obesity is a very, very big national issue. I think all governments are very aware there's a significant problem and they're making really serious especially steps. Especially with children. Especially with children. But, the, you know, there are there are policy positions being developed and strategies being developed both at state, federal and, mm. and COAG level at the moment. And they have immense power to make change. They also have lots of other priorities. They have limited budgets and they have a three-year election cycle. Yes. So there's a lot of... That's a big issue, isn't it? The three-year election cycle. Yep, surely is. So government could always do more and Mm. could do more. There's no question about that. And when we're thinking about what we're doing, they're a serious part of how we're trying to solve this problem. Um, we would see what we need is a whole of society response. And that, mm. that means that's everyone from the corner store yes. through to the Prime Minister. Partnering with businesses big and small, Deakin offers world-class research and development expertise, first-rate facilities and global leading talent to develop game-changing solutions. Ranked in the top 1% of universities globally, Deakin is a world leader in research across multiple industries. Whether it's tackling the challenges of health systems in society, developing future materials for a circular economy, or shining a light on a brighter energy future, Deakin Research can take your business to the next level. To find out more, head to deakin.edu.au slash collaboration. Deakin, more than a university. So with obesity, why is it that, for instance, you, you might, you're more likely or likely to get type 2 diabetes? Is that through blood? Like what is the link? There's a range of body chemistry that occurs okay. and there's also the effect of the um, weight itself on your body as well. I see. Probably an, a more interesting way of thinking about that, there's really two things you said there and one was despite the consequences, the causal behaviour was still occurring. So I'm losing my toes and I'm still that fully I'm consuming the sugar. Correct. And it reminds me of, I used to teach um, some third-year medical students, so they're doctors, so they're, they're three years into their course, and they are um, pretty much as well-informed as anyone on the planet about mm. what causes ill health and what you do about it. Mm. And we used to do an exercise where we would say, can you identify a behaviour you engage in that you know is unhealthy? Mm. Can you then ask, why is it you keep doing that? 
and what would it take you to stop? Mm. Now, bear in mind, this is literally the glitterati, our, our yeah. intelligentsia, the most in- intelligent people we've got who've been studying health and nothing yeah. else for three years. Yes. About 40% of them were smokers. The majority of them drink to unhealthy levels and they, every single one of them could come up with at least two or three different unhealthy behaviours. Mm. 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 Um, why do they keep doing it? Mm. Because of the peer support and it's hard to stop. What would make them stop? It would take a catastrophe before they would even think about it. Now, if you so think they're already addicted to whatever they're doing. Well, if you think about that framing, the the payoff for the behaviour is instant. The cost of the behaviour is long term. So you're operating on two very different mm. timescales mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of cause and effect, mm-hmm. and that's one of the major mistakes we've lost is realising that the timescales are different. But if that group of trainee doctors them knowing the science is not enough to change their behaviour, then assuming just telling people that this is an unhealthy behaviour is going to change their behaviour is is Mm. crazy. Mm. It's insane. Because as soon as you leave the doctor's surgery and they say, mate, you might lose a toe or two if you don't do something about your weight, you step straight back into the environment that Mm. caused the problem in the first place. And, And so... What we're trying to do is create wholesale change. And in communities where what we do is working well, we see hundreds of changes happen across the community where that community is responding to the challenge of what are the things we can do to make this a healthier place to live so that uh, we would never bother individualising and saying to a child, you're overweight and you need to lose weight. It doesn't make sense. It's not a safe thing to do. It's mm. not a clever thing to do. Mm. And it's... um generally a dangerous strategy. But if that child's natural day-to-day life is in a healthier environment than it was two years ago, the weight will naturally disappear anyway. They'll become healthier anyway. Mm. We'll see it in our data, but we would never individualise the child. So I guess what what I'm trying to say is um, we need what are known as social marketing campaigns. We need Mm. to keep reinforcing that there are behaviours that are healthy and there are behaviours mm. that are not. Mm. Just telling people something is healthy or unhealthy is not enough not so easy to, to shift, the, shift the needle, exactly. And the challenge we have is that everybody who's interested in health, passionate in health, well-meaning people have a particular behaviour or a particular part of a behaviour mm. or a particular intervention that they think is the right one because they've invested Decades in it. Yeah, yeah. And actually what we need is all of these different shifts across society at the right time, in the right place for the right group of people. Mm. We hope our legacy and we're seeing our legacy is that we're teaching communities how to use this approach Mm. and they're now using it as routine where they use and it comes from a complex problem-solving approach. They're using it for all sorts of problems. So we we start in a community and we're talking about child health and sometimes Mm. it's obesity and sometimes it's intergenerational trauma all sorts of different problems. We get to the point where we've developed solutions with them, they're doing the work. We go back several years later and they're using all of those techniques for all sorts of other problems because they're Mm. useful ways. They can be applied to different situations. Exactly right. So So we've worked with people on suicide prevention, on homelessness, on housing affordability, on microfinance, on unemployment, a whole range of things because these are all complex problems Mm. that have more than one relationship of cause and effect Mm. that if we pick one part of the problem and ignore the rest we're never going to win because if we just said well childhood obesity is all about inactivity and we can forget everything else and you increase the number of gym classes Mm. and that kid walks out of the school and there's a new 7-eleven over the road with one dollar big gulps um i recently funny (laughs) (laughs) 
these beautiful foster children that I have. Uh, the last one was very, very enamored by um, the one dollar Slurpees. Right. So, so what? What? And and why not? Because the sugar makes you feel good. It's well advertised. Yeah. It's it's you know. It's- and it also feels like you know, especially you know, a kid that doesn't have a lot of money, that feels like they're getting something significant. And in their unique DNA situation, lack is a big thing. That that's right. And so the the question then is. And, and we have a what's known as a centre of research excellence where we're trying to understand how to work with food retailers. So that's a yes. classic example yeah. of that. The question then yeah, is... which is... Yes, and uh, yes, we've covered that in an episode, which is fascinating. Brilliant. So, well, so one question is how would normal... So normal at the minute is you get a $1 big gulp. Mm. How do we make normal healthy? And normal mm. includes it's an exciting thing for the kid to purchase. Mm. It's an enjoyable thing for the kid to consume. But it's not going to lead them to an early grave. Yeah. And the only issue, the, not the only, the timing issue is the person selling that product just made a dollar mm. and has no relationship at all to the fact that this kid's going to suffer when they're 65 yeah. more than they should. That's right. They're going to have toes chopped off potentially. Right, exactly. And, and so the questions we're asking is how do we bring communities and retailers and mm. business leaders and politicians to the point where they can find their way of contributing to improve the environments we live our lives in so they're healthier Mm. places to be. Mm. And there's a lot of great work going on. So it's not as if we're not making progress. We're just not making progress fast enough. Yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely true. Um, Another thing I was thinking of in terms of more so on a national level Mm. is I know, and and you're probably immediately going to think I'm I'm going crazy even mentioning this, but obviously the profound impact that the TAC commercials um, and um, smoking, you know, tobacco commercials, you know, they're very shocking that, you know, whatever, you know, I haven't looked at the research on why that impacts people outside of just the shock. Um, I can sort of see the TAC, you know, the frightening, you know, and and, and I guess it's literally like, okay, slow down or don't be tired or Mm. don't text. It's very easy to go, Oh, that really shocked and scared me. Therefore, there's just one thing that I need to do, which is you know not not do is those things. Um, the tobacco obviously um, is a bit different, but you know. Let me just yeah. respond briefly to that because they're perfect examples. Mm. So, so there is a campaign. There's lots of them. There's one campaign called Live Lighter that's around body mm. fat around your organs yeah. and the effect that that has on your health and those sorts of things. If we take the example of smoking. Mm. We have a shock campaign that shows you on on the, at the point of purchase, this is what it will do to your body. And mm. there's no doubt that has some impact yeah. on people's behaviour. Mm. But if you look at the reduction in smoking rates, and in the 50s, 85% of people smoked, including GPs, and that's down around 15 18% now with some with variations in it. So it's gone down 70-odd percent, but people still smoke. Yeah. The changes that have happened over that time, there's a social marketing suite, there's advertising and, and information, but there's also changes in tax, changes in affordability, changes in access, yeah. changes in the mm. way we import, mm, mm. changes in the way we enforce, changes in the places we sell the yeah, stuff. Gotcha. So retrospectively... Smoking is actually a really good case study of solving a complex problem because it's got lots of different relationships of cause and effect. Yeah. We've hit lots of those different points. You know, there's nicobate, there's treatment, there's Mm. all sorts of different things. We've got it down to about 12 or 15% depending on the community you're looking at. 
and it took 60 years. Mm, yeah, it's a long time. We don't have 60 years for our no. kids. Mm. We just genuinely don't. And the mission we're on is how do we learn from those other, mm. you know, tobacco being a great example, how do we learn from those examples to understand that complexity in a way that our response is the best possible response at the right time for mm. any given community? How do we make sure we have use the idea of DNA and there's mm. this idea of precision medicine, the right medicine for the person based on their personal characteristics? What does precision prevention look like for any given community? What's the right things to do for a particular community at a particular point in time? And that starts with working with those communities to co-create what makes sense to them. Mm. And people seem to be sort of open if they think something's about to enrich them from a storytelling and an emotive sort of point of view. I can't help but think that there must be some wonderful case studies out there and maybe not all of them have to be success stories because unfortunately that your mind quickly goes into sort of Weight Watchers and stuff like that, you know what I mean, which is sort of it feels sometimes a bit cliched and sort of done. But following that life journey, especially to sort of highlight that once, you know, say I hit nine, that if I'm still eating certain or if I'm being still still being fed a certain amount of food and I get and I hit a certain spot, that showing the journey of it, the likelihood of me ending up as an obese, you know, adult, and then also, I guess, the journey of the most likely diseases that I might catch feels like if that was sort of narrated from a case study that might be powerful to carefully go, here are the points that we need people to know. I like that. I challenge you to reframe that. Mm. And there are case studies of communities we've worked with where they've taken control over the health of their kids. And by that I mean they've actively got to the point where they're angry that the existing conditions are making their kids unhealthy day by day by day and done something about Mm. it. And and that done something about it is by taking control and saying we've had enough of this Mm. and we're going to do things that ensure our kids are more active, that they eat better Mm. and that the environment they're spending their time in is going to improve their health rather than detract from it. That's really hard work and it's Mm. really hard Mm. to get started and it's really hard to maintain. And so we're doing the science of how you help a community do that work, maintain it and evolve it so that we can give it to other people as well. Mm. But there are communities um, within a couple of hundred kilometres of where we're sitting today that have actively made more than 300 changes to their community to improve Mm. the health of their kids. And when they do that, we see the health of their kids improve within a couple of years. Mm, so, right. so there's a mm. there's a there's a sub narrative about this problem is intractable and it's hard to solve and we'll never turn it around and the rates are always going up. That's not necessarily true. Mm. Um, one of the key solutions is community taking ownership and leadership in mm. improving the environment. Yeah, but that. That word community means everything from the parliament and the cabinet through to the state government, through to the local government, through to the retailers, through to grandparents, through to sports clubs, through to Mm. mums, through to dads. Um, But but pretending that we can point the finger at one subsection Mm. of community, one group of people, one group of parents and say, it's all on you is why we haven't solved this yet. Because as soon as you shift environments, there's yet another series of forces pushing you towards an unhealthy outcome. So we have to have shift across all of the different layers of society and all of the different causal factors 
if we're going to turn this around. But it can be done and it has been done. Mm. To create that kind of almost snowball effect that we've seen with tobacco, which, as you said, has happened over – it's a very slow snowball effect, but it's happened over a period of time where more entities and individuals and groups get on board and start plugging in their little piece of the puzzle to turn things around. And so I'm the nerd in the room, right? So I'm 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 always thinking about the data and the numbers and the process to I'm never thinking to about make that, that fly. <laughs> so, so, but what's exciting about what the institute is doing and what we're doing is mm. in that group of people, we've got such a broad range of different tasks and skill sets from um, really amazing machine learning, from the way that we relate to people, through to the way that we understand whether something's worked or not, whether or not it's cost effective. Mm all this huge sweep of different activity where we now can work with the community and give them what they need to make this work. And yeah, that, and right. again, you know, so we can give politicians a really clear set of guidelines that say if you can make these policies happen, you will improve the health mm. of the population. For a community, if you can get these changes to happen, you will improve the educational attainment of your kids. Yeah. And we're and that's that's a unique position to be in. That's new. That's that's not something that's been there for a long time. But the whole world now is really woken up to the fact we have to make a shift. And to complicate things further, when we start thinking about, particularly our group, think about obesity, it's also tied into overconsumption and directly tied to climate change. So when we're trying okay. to do things, well, so if you think about it, the, the things that create obesity, overprocessed foods, overconsumption of overprocessed foods, um, lack of activity, use of motorised transport are actually directly related to the emergence of climate change. And one of our next challenges is to find what are called triple duty actions so that an action we take has an effect on all of those different areas. So imagine a national food policy where the food was less processed, so there's less processing. It had less food miles, so it doesn't have to travel as far. It automatically makes it healthier. Mm. And you're saying climate change is linked to all of that because the processing of, well, obviously look at the state of the the our poor farmers. That's right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. And, and our over-reliance on meat in particular and beef yeah. in particular, yes. um, you know, has a processed beef in particular has mm. a huge relationship as well. Mm. And the, the, so the challenge is it's easy to get swamped by it being way too complex. Yeah. And the science we're doing is how do you f- navigate that complexity to a solution that makes sense and yeah. works? But we know how to do that. Our next challenge is to give it to enough communities in a way that they can use it for themselves. Um, You're doing such great work. I love that. And I I love everything uh, about the Institute for Health Transformation. Just as a final question, because you've got to go off and do your thing, do you have career-wise in the space of what you're doing? Is there sort of some dream of like I would like to see the world as – Blah. So we're, we're already working with WHO and, and testing these methods in four countries. We're working with the City of London. We've, we've, got, we've got projects happening all around the world with, with communities who want to make a change. Yeah. If I had a magic wand mm. and we were five years down the track and I'd use my magic wand mm. properly, what we would have is a whole suite of materials, activities that any group of people could use mm. that would help them understand where they are in the problem they're trying to solve, yeah. show them what the next steps are, give them the capacity and skills to take that step yeah. and allow them to connect with other people around the world who are also solving problems that they care about too. Yeah. 
So we work with people in five countries in Europe, four in Eastern Europe, the South Pacific, and about 30 communities in Australia who are all trying to solve childhood obesity. They've all got the same issues. They're all trying to engage with leaders. They're all trying to find changes that make sense in, in their local community. Just connecting those people together in a way that they can share what they've learned mm. would revolutionise the way we think about the problem. Mm. Don't you need some kind of like world summit to be going live so we can all tap in? We so one of the things we're working. I'll do the PR <laughs> to let everyone know that you're going, they're going live. You're, now. you're hired. So, yeah. so one of the things we're working on, and we have a lot of communities in Australia, but also communities internationally uh, signed up to, is an international collective of communities, and that's not academics. It mm. includes academics, but it's not academics. It's mm. it's community leaders, business leaders, retailers who are all committed to sharing with each other and learning from each other the best ways mm. to bring their communities through a journey where they're a healthier place to be because they did that than when yeah. they started. And that is a radical step change. But the challenge we've got is we've got to supercharge it and do it as fast as we can because we're running out of time. Mm. Thank you for breaking it all down to me. And, um, yeah, I hope this episode further goes to kind of make people feel empowered within their communities and sort of want to be, I guess, the heroes in there because everyone can do something. And, and, the, and the criti- one of the critical pieces we do is we ask what's possible within your remit, yeah. interest and your capacity. And, yes. and it turns out there is a lot possible and there's things that they can't do that need support from without, mm. but there's things that can be done. And, mm. and nobody wants their kids to be sick. No, nobody no, does. No. And we have the means to help communities improve the health of their kids. And our next challenge is to make that accessible to everybody. Yeah. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining in the conversation with us about our healthcare system. If you'd like more information on any of the topics or researchers in this series, simply head to iht.deakin.edu.au.